those tools and resources are not available to us. And so we're kind of, we're in this place where we are more aware of our own limitations and the reality that there are things that we can't handle. But I'm here to tell you this morning, though we can't handle this, God can. And so we want to turn our hearts and attention to that. Many of us are, are feeling uh, that we're walking in a strange time, that we're not spending time with the people we're doing, we're not living the routines that we're living. And it, it kind of turns your world upside down. You're feeling probably a bit of turmoil in your inner world, and yet the reality is there's a place for us to turn for comfort in this time. Because there's a greater resource that we can rely upon. There's a greater relationship that we can put our trust in that, that allows us to find that comfort that we truly long for. And it's found in the life of Jesus Christ. And so you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. You can open the, the app on your phone or on a tablet or a computer and, and go to Matthew 26 because we're going to look at a passage there from the life of Jesus that, that helps us and gives us guidance on how we are to walk through these difficult times, how to walk through trials and tribulations and even suffering uh, in the manner that we saw Jesus walk through those times with. You know, last week we looked at our passage that reminded us that though God is not the, the source or the cause of our pain and suffering, he, he can redeem that pain and suffering. He can transform it. He can transform it into something beautiful, life-giving, and hope-filled. Now, all we have to do is entrust it to him. I was on a call this week with a, a number of pastors throughout the world dealing with the, the spread of COVID-19 and how the church can face it. And at one point, they had Philip Yancey on the call, and he was encouraging the pastors to look at the, the virus not as, as this destructive strain of a bug, even though it is, but to, to not forget that there's a redemptive strain of this bug as well. What he meant was to, to look for those places where God can redeem the pain and the brokenness, the grieving and the sadness, the suffering, the challenges, the difficulty, and he can redeem it for good. And so he challenged us to think about how we can, uh, how, how we can look to this virus as, as a redemptive strain, how it can redeem good in our world. I mean, you think about it, you look around, you think of the, the many people who are serving our community in ways beyond their usual routine. We, of course, think of healthcare workers and, and those who are serving the, those who are sick or, or uh, in danger of being sick. But we also think of those who are selflessly and sacrificially keeping our economy afloat to the best of their ability. They're, they're showing up each morning. They're working in the grocery stores. They're, they're driving trucks. They're, they're giving of their lives. They're putting their own lives on, uh, on the line as well for the good of you and, and me. We think of looking around at the families that are walking together in the evening, uh, that they're riding bikes together, they're spending time in their yard. We're hearing stories of what they're doing at home, and we're reminded that, that during a time like this, our families are drawing closer together. God can redeem this brokenness and lead us to a greater, greater place. You think of our communities, how our communities are uniting together they're, they're, they're showing concern for their neighbors. They're, they're showing concern for those around them by, by making sacrifices for the good of one another. And so communities are uniting together around this purpose of caring for one another. See, God can, can certainly bring about good from tragedy. But in order for us to see this, in order for us to embrace this, I think we have to come to a place of recognition that we cannot handle a time like this. But God can. 
Hopefully you're with me so far and are asking the next question down the road. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we live that out? How do we live in that place where we acknowledge that we can't handle this, but God can? How can we rely on him during such hard times? Well, I think if we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to see an example of how one would walk through a time like this. That they do so by not walking through their trials and tribulations alone. That they maintain a life of prayer and that we keep moving forward. As Dory says in Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, right? So I want to read for us a passage in Matthew 26. I'm going to pick up in verse 36. And I invite you to follow along as I, as I read the scriptures for us here in Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See that the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would unite us all together around this truth. I pray that your word would encourage our hearts, would be the thing that sets our minds on focus of you, that we would endure together because of the promises we see in Scripture, because of the life of Jesus that we experience in your word. And may you be glorified by Jesus growing in our hearts today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're jumping into Jesus' night midstream here. There's some things going on. This is the night that Jesus is to be arrested, that he's betrayed by Judas, that that he's put on trial, he's mocked and beaten a bit. It's the night before he's nailed to a tree and and crucified and, and dies. But after celebrating the Passover supper, the moment that we are at is the moment where Jesus and the disciples leave the the upper room, and they journey to this garden on the Mount of Olives, and they spend time in prayer together. And so it's here in our passage where we pick up, and I I want to encourage you to to pay attention to how Jesus walks through the the suffering that he experiences, the pain and the trouble that that he experiences, and, and how he handles that in his life. So a question for you. 
What are your habits that you experience when you get anxious? What are the things that you do when you get anxious and nervous? Now, here's the thing. Because we're living in a day and age where we can worship online and we've got that discussion board off to the side of our screen, I want to encourage you, jump on that discussion board, share with others, what is it that you do when you get anxious? How do you cope with pain and suffering? Do you do, you know, retail therapy? Some, you know, Amazon makes it all too easy, Right? Do, do you uh, uh, go to the, the refrigerator and grab junk food? Do you pick up a drink? Do you spend time praying? Are, do you look for community? Do you call your friends? How do you deal with anxiety? How, how do you deal with pain and suffering? How do you deal with hard times? Talk about it on the discussion board. I encourage you. Have some fun with that thing, right? But this morning, when we think of how Jesus handles uh, anxiety... When we think of how he handles the the suffering that he endured, the deep grieving and distress he went through, we realize that Matthew points our attention to the fact that Jesus doesn't suffer alone. Look at verse 36 through 38 again. Matthew records this. He says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to, to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So much of these verses highlights the fact that as Jesus begins to deal with the sorrow and the, the despair and the grief of what he's about to encounter, he invites his disciples to share in that moment with him. And, and, and not even all of them, but those closest to him. Peter, James, and John were three of his closest companions in this world. They were with him throughout his ministry in a very unique and special way. And what we hear him say time and again in this passage is, with them, with him, to them, with me. See, community was very important to Jesus, and especially as he felt the weight of what he was called to do. Kids, I know that you are gathered in the room with adults, and so rather than jump on the discussion board, I'd encourage you to talk to the adults in the room and maybe share with them how you might uh, answer this question. Have you ever wondered why we like nightlights so much? I may or may not be a big fan of nightlights, but, but what I'm asking you is, have you ever thought about the reason why you like nightlights so much? Talk with the adults in the room. Answer that question for them. And then I want you to consider this. When we get hurt, why is it our first instinct to run and find mom or dad, right? I mean, yes, it's probably because we're concerned that, that we're hurt and, and we don't know how to fix it, but I think it's more than that. I think, well, go ahead, talk about it with the adults first in the, in the room. Adults, you probably have some answers yourselves. Maybe some of you in, the, in, in that room uh, enjoy nightlights as well, and so you can share with the kids your own response to that. See, I think... At the end of the day, it, it's, it's unhealthy. It's unnatural for us to be alone. I think that's part of what we're dealing with right now with physical distancing. Though it's good for us, we're coming to grips with the reality that we don't like being alone. Not only that we don't like being alone, it's unhealthy to be alone. 
right? We were uh, on that call that I mentioned with pastors around the world. They had a couple of pastors from Italy and Spain share with us uh, on how things are going and how the church is navigating uh, the spread of the virus there in their countries. And they said, you know, what we wish we had been told two weeks sooner is the importance that community would be as we walk through this time. The importance it would be to connect with other people in meaningful ways. Now, it doesn't mean that you know, we have to stand six feet apart with everyone that is in our friend circle. It means there are other ways that you can connect with uh, others in meaningful ways. And we'll get to that in a little bit. See, Jesus, he surrounded himself with, those, with his closest friends. Yeah, he took his 11 disciples with him to the garden to pray, but then he took Peter, James, and John and went a little bit further. And the Bible tells us that he then began to be sorrowful and troubled. He tells them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. See, I think Jesus' inner world... What's going on inside of him, in his heart and his mind, is different now than it was when he shared that meal with his disciples in the upper room. There is a distinct change in his inner world, in his thoughts and feelings and emotions, and, and, and he's feeling it heavily right now. Matthew tells us that he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. Or some translations write, he began to be grieved and distressed. This is not some feeling like, oh man, they ran out of my favorite cereal at the store or something like that, right? This is deep soul-level anguish. The the translators of the, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they actually use this very same language as they use in Psalm 42 when they translate the, from the Old Testament to the, or I'm sorry, from the Hebrew to the Greek, uh, when the psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me. It's a little bit more descriptive of not calm waters, but, but waters that are stirred up and tumultuous. See, for anyone who is grieved or felt distressed, there's a, a deep soul anguish. It's almost like you can't put your finger on it. You can't, you can't snap your fingers and make it go away. You can't just think of happy thoughts and it goes away. There's a, a, there's a deepness to our, our grieving. And, and so even this morning, there are some of us who are grieving There are some of us who are feeling deeply distressed, and you're carrying it heavily inside you. But what I want you to notice this morning is that that as Jesus begins to grieve and be distressed, he calls on three of his closest friends to come with him, right? Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, remain with me. Keep watch with me. He's saying, stay here. Be vigilant. Be mindful of me. He invites them into the place to to share with his pain. Does does he ask them to fix his pain? Nope. Right? Does he ask them to take away his pain? No, he doesn't. He says, remain with me. Keep watch with me. When you say those words, when when you think about saying those words, with me, who are the people that come to mind in your life? Who's the person that when you say, with me, who's that person who voyages with you, who travels with you? Who is it that remains with you in trial and tribulation? Now, I know the the first answer, our Sunday school answer, is Jesus. And that, that should be true for all of God's people. 
that we, would, that we would claim that it's Jesus who is with us, and it's true. But I think that Jesus also gives us the physical manifestation of his body in this world. He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ who, who walk with us, who can encourage us as we face difficult times. Who is it that God has put in your life to remain with you and keep watch with you in your distress? Again, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to go on that discussion thread. Go online and, and, and talk on the discussion thread about the, the, the names of the people that come to mind when you think of those who share in your distress with you, who remain with you, who keep watch with you. If you can't actually get on the discussion thread, I'm giving you permission to go ahead and talk in the living room. Go ahead. This is worship. Like, like I said last week, get it out of your system now. You can't do that when we're back here in this room. But for now, go ahead and talk together. Discuss this. Who is it that, that you identify as with you? Kids, don't think that this is just something for the adults. I'm thinking of my own kids. I'm thinking of those, those friends they have in their life that have been with them through thick and thin. Who are the people that are with you in your distress? And remember, there, there are ways that we can connect even now. That doesn't mean that we have to be physically apart. My kids, uh, and actually this has been a little bit of a challenge for me, my kids have been using Facebook Messenger for kids, right? It's protected, it's safe, it's meant for kids, and it's through the parents' account. My kids have been using that this week to connect with their friends at school and people in their lives, their cousins, their grandparents, uh, throughout the day, so whether at lunchtime or, or in the evening, uh, they're calling people, they're staying connected. Those relationships are important. Within the body of Christ, those relationships are important. They'll be the people that point us to, to Christ when we're in the midst of our distress. They'll be the people who just remain with us and keep watch with us. They may not fix our pain, we're not asking them to. They may not make our pain go away, we're not asking them to. We're asking them to remain with us, to keep watch with us. There's a, an interesting uh, practice that the town of Fairfield is starting to do. The, the Fairfield Parks and Rec Department ha, has put out word that every Wednesday night at 7 p.m., go out on your porch and ring a bell. Ring a bell to, to celebrate the good that's happening, the, the health care workers, the, the service providers, the people who are making sure that you can still get food and medical supplies and, and gas for your cars and, and, and electricity in your homes and, and internet in your, in your homes and all those things. Ring this bell, celebrate their goodness, their kindness, their sacrifice. And, and as you do, you hear the bells ringing in other parts of neighborhoods and you're reminded you're not alone. What are we doing to... To, to, to identify those people who even more specifically can remain with us and keep watch with us. So I think it was important to Jesus that he not suffer alone. It was important to Jesus that he identified who his community was in his deepest place of suffering and anguish deep within his soul. Now, and let me just say this too. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was fully God, fully divine, and fully human, right? And, and yet, in the midst of his pain and suffering, we realized the, the depth of his humanity. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. He, he's experiencing deep soul anguish right now in our narrative. And so I want to remind you, it is absolutely no sign of weakness that you deal with grieving and distress like, we don't like to admit 
that we have needs. As human beings, and maybe this is a New England thing, I think it's more than that, we don't like to admit our weakness. And yet we see an example in Jesus that there is no sign of weakness in admitting our need for companionship and support and community in times of distress. I want to challenge you. Open up about your need this morning. Not necessarily to everyone. I'm not saying you have to announce it to the world. But talk about it. Identify someone that you can uh, invite to remain with you and to keep watch with you. Not to fix your problems, but to share in community with you. Jesus did, and, and we can as well. We can identify those people who, who, who can seek to understand us, to allow us to be understood, to share in a relationship with someone. Now listen, if you are there this morning uh, and, and, and you don't have that person identified, I'm going to give you two ways that I would encourage you to respond. One, fill out the care form on our website. Let us know where you're at. We want to connect with you. We want to make sure that you don't do life alone, that you don't walk through this time alone. Let us know. Just go on our website, click on the update page, go to the community life page, and there's a care form. You can just click on the button and fill it out, and we will be in touch with you. Another option, you could just reach out to the people on discussion board this morning. There are people on there who will pray with you, who will be mindful of what you're feeling and experiencing, and who would like to walk alongside you. And so let others know, if you are looking for someone to connect with, to be in community with during this time, let others know. I know it's hard, but I challenge you, don't do life alone right now. Jesus did not suffer alone. I think that's the first example we see of how he deals with suffering. The second thing, he relied on his lifestyle of prayer. It wasn't just something that Jesus said, yeah, I do prayer. I pray. I pray every now and then. Jesus had a rhythm and a habit of turning to his Father and meeting with him in prayer. Listen to what Matthew tells us in verse 39 of our passage. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus maintained his regular rhythm of prayer, even when his world was experiencing deep, sorrowful anguish and distress and grief. In the New American Standard Version of the Gospel of Luke, we read this in chapter 5, verse 16. He himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Now, I could easily pull up a bunch of verses of examples of where Jesus would slip away to pray with his father. He lived his entire life in front of the masses, in front of the crowds. And yet, there, the, the most important thing to his rhythm of serving and being a sacrifice for others was meeting with his father in prayer. So when Jesus began to be grieved and distressed, he maintained his most important rhythm for the health of his life. He met with his father in prayer. Now, I don't want to discourage you this morning if you don't already have a healthy rhythm of prayer in your life. I'll admit it. I'm not as regular about my rhythm of prayer as Jesus was. I have seasons where I am very regular and routine and, uh, and rhythmic with my prayer life. And then there are seasons where I'm not so good. But what I want to encourage you to, to know this morning is that we are not Jesus. 
We're called to become like Jesus, to follow in his example. So there is no better day to develop the healthy habit of a prayer life than today. To recognize that you don't have to beat yourself up because it's not already going on in your life, but that the invitation is to become more like Jesus and to make it your intention to develop that prayer life, to come to him in faith and to open your heart, to expose your inner life to Jesus in prayer. See, when Jesus maintained a rhythm of prayer, he kept his life centered in his relationship with his Father. He kept his focus and his attention on the Father's heart. He kept his mind attentive to the Father's will and the mission that he'd been given from the Father. See, when we're going through trial and tribulation, we need daily reminders of keeping our focus on the Lord. Jesus, he needed to maintain his regular habit of prayer, and he invited his closest friends to come with him, as we do too, that we meet with God in prayer and invite others to remain with us and keep watch with us. Here's something for the discussion thread. Whether uh, you have access to that discussion thread or talking about it in the living room, go ahead and discuss this. We've all experienced the disruption of suffering and trial, particularly right now. So what habits, what rhythms are important to you to endure through the trial? What are the things that you practice in your life that help guide you and keep you focused on the Lord, that, that, that encourage you and keep you moving forward as you Endure through the the pain, the suffering, the grief, the distress, the the trial, the tribulation. I encourage you, share those ideas with one another. Who knows, your idea may bless someone else on that thread, may bless someone else in the living room, may encourage them to practice walking with Jesus a little bit differently. Let the people know and be honest. Don't feel like you have to make yourself look better. Just be honest with everyone. I hope no one jumps over to Google and, and Google's you know, practices to, to maintain during difficult times and then shares that answer. Share what you do. No one will think less of you. I also want to take this moment then to also invite you to join us this afternoon. Starting this afternoon, Trinity's going to host a prayer fellowship online at 2 p.m. via Zoom where we will gather together and, and seek the Lord. We'll pray the scriptures, we'll, we'll, we'll read the scriptures, and we'll pray them together. We'll gather together around a united purpose of seeking God's face in prayer. And that will be this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Now, you can also go on our website to register for that. You will need to register for this because we will need to send you a link to the, the um, gathering on Zoom. And so uh, all you need to do is go to our update page and click the link above the care form. And it's in smaller letters, so look closely. But click that link, and it'll take you to a registration where you fill out the registration. I think it's their name and email address, maybe. And it'll automatically send you the invite to the prayer time. If for some reason you don't have a computer or, or internet, listen, you can still join us. We have a phone number you can, uh, you can call to call into the, the uh, fellowship time. And so uh, I would encourage you to call the church office, and we'll be in touch with you uh, before 2 o'clock to let you know what number you can call and what the, the passcode would be to get into this time of prayer and fellowship. Listen, we need to develop habits of prayer together as a community. But, but before we move on from Jesus' habit of praying in his suffering, I, I want to point out one more thing that, uh, that happens while he's there in his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, Jesus' prayer 
his habit of prayer made him look to God for strengthening. A, a number of us need to be strengthened this morning. A number of us need to be encouraged and strengthened and reminded to keep going, to keep moving forward. In Luke's account of Jesus' time in the garden, we, we read these words in Luke 22. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now listen, I am not telling us that the way we endure through this is just keep pushing and pushing and pushing until you get through it. It's not pull up your bootstraps and carry on. It's not just cling, you know, hold on and, and somehow we'll get through it. We're going to cling to Jesus. We're going to hold on to him. And the reason why is as we look to him, as we, as we look up at God, God will strengthen us to endure through our suffering. This is a strength that you will not be able to explain. You'll be able to identify, especially looking back at, as, as you walk through your trial and your tribulation and you reflect on it, but it will be a strength that's from God. Human wisdom is not enough. Money is not enough. Technological advances are not enough. And, and hear me, I'm not saying that the efforts of our healthcare workers, our first responders, our government leaders is, is, no, is no good. Right? I'm not saying that. But right now, the only thing we can really do to, sp- to, to slow the spread of the coronavirus is nothing. It is to stay home. It is to, to remain safe in our homes and to distance ourselves from one another. And so I'm not telling you this to, to belittle the efforts of, of our first responders, our healthcare workers, or government leaders, or any of that. But it's to highlight the ultimate usefulness of prayer. And that in prayer, we can look up and seek our Creator for strength and for encouragement as we endure through our suffering. See, Jesus, he, he maintained a habit of prayer in the midst of the disturbances of his life, in the, in the midst of his grieving and sorrow and distress. He didn't suffer alone. He, he was purposeful in maintaining his regular rhythm of prayer. And, and finally, Jesus endured. Finally, Jesus kept moving forward. Now, I know that in, in uh, this time of, of social distancing, physical distancing, staying at home and staying safe. Many of us are watching many different shows. And so kids, if you've had as much fun as I have watching Frozen 2 on Disney+, Plus, then you'll recognize the line that Princess Anna says in that one point in the movie when she's experiencing some deep distress. She says, all one can do is the next right thing. And I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to sing the song that Anna sings. Nope, just kidding, I'm not going to do that. I always threaten that I'm going to sing, but I don't actually do it. So one of these days, you're going to get me up here singing, uh, and I'll be terrified of that. But Princess Anna, she says, all one can do is the next right thing. Kids, listen up. Before Princess Anna said these words, Jesus lived it, right? Before Princess Anna said, all one can do is the next right thing, Jesus was the example of living and doing the next right thing in obedience to his Father. See, if you follow Jesus' three prayers that he prays that evening, then you'll notice that his petitioning of God moves him from a place of asking God to remove his pain, remove his suffering, 
to, to give him a path that works his way around the difficulty. And by the end of his prayer, when he's done praying, Jesus is resolute on the purpose that his father has given him. Look at verse 46. Jesus declared, rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Now, th- these are not words that, that he's declaring like, hey, let's get out of here. They're coming, right? The next right thing for Jesus is to embrace his capture, is to embrace his arrest. This was Jesus facing his trial and his suffering head on. You know, one of the things we love about Psalm 23 is the fact that we have a shepherd who promises to lead us through the valley of the shadow of darkness. We need to see the example of Jesus not running away from his difficulties, but facing them head on. In the coming days, as you read the, the Easter narrative, next week will be Palm Sunday. The Sunday after that, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And in the days as you read the narrative of what happens, you'll notice that Jesus could have run away, but he didn't. Jesus could have resisted his arrest, but he didn't. Jesus could have defended himself against the false allegations that were made against him, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus fulfills prophecy. He fulfills a promise that was made about him over 700 years before he's even born. He fulfills the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 7, where we read this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He didn't run away. He didn't, he, he didn't try to navigate or, or, or talk his way out of it with the Roman officials or with the, the Jewish leaders. He embraced the mission that the Father had given him, he opened not his mouth. See, our pain and our fear and our worry causes us to look from, from side to side, to look for alternate avenues. How can I get around this? How can I, how, how can I avoid the pain that I've, got, that I've got in front of me? But as Christ followers, when there's no other path but forward, we step forward in faith. We do the next right thing in obedience to Jesus. See, there's, there's a, a day, a promise that God has, has laid out before us that, that helps us to stay focused on the future. Rather than looking side to side and, and looking for an alternative pathway, we look dead ahead and, and we look at the promise that God has made, a promise that one day there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more, no more pain, no more tears. There's a promise that that one day, on the, on the other side of trial and tribulation, a, 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 a valley that each and every one of us has to walk through, we will be in the warm embrace of our Savior. We will have the peace that we truly have longed for all along. But we entrust that Jesus is calling us to go, to follow him, to live in obedience. Jesus determined to do the will of his Father, and so shall we. The author of Hebrews looked back on Jesus' life and made this observation. He said, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. 
although he was a son, he learned obedience through what, we, through what he suffered. We too can learn obedience through what we are suffering. We can learn to, to, to obey Jesus. And what that means is not just learn to live right. It means that we can trust that, that as we take the next right step, do the next right thing that God has called us into, he will provide for that step. He will provide a way. He will lead us through the valley, the shadow of darkness, to green pastures beside quiet waters. Obedience is not, not a, an act of just doing what's right. It's an, it's an opportunity to learn that he is trustworthy and he will care for us and he will guide us and he will direct us and he will lead us toward his promised goal. A, a day when there will be no more sickness and sadness, no more grieving, no more tears, but only the peace of communion with him. I'm going to ask the, the, uh, the, the worship team to come up and join me up here because in a minute we're going to close our, our time but as we do, I want to encourage you to think about this and maybe discuss on the thread one thing. I want to challenge you to take what God is impressing on your heart and make it practical in your life. Share that with others. What's one thing that you feel like God is challenging, challenging you to make practical in your life today and the days to come? Go ahead, write it in the discussion thread. Share it with those in your room in the living room or wherever you are. But, but hear this. Like Jesus did, take people with you into your pain. Turn your pain and your hardship into honest prayers and pray for God's will to be done. You can't handle this, but God can. Let me pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, um, Lord, that you can handle this. Lord, when, when all our typical tools and resources to rely on have been stripped away, uh, you remain. And so we trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate in us community, that we would have people we can identify in our lives who we can say, remain with me, keep watch with me. That, that we would develop habits that uh, help guide us through a time uh, of deep distress, the habit of prayer and leaning upon the Lord. And Lord, I pray too that we would hear your call, your invitation to follow you in faith, to trust that you are trustworthy and to cultivate this obedience that we will be resolute toward the promise that you have laid out for us in Scripture, to follow you, to do what Jesus has done, to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to care like Jesus. Thank you for the example we have in Jesus, the example of navigating these difficult times in our lives. May we be...